Well, good morning. Here we are in Romans 12 at verse 9, dealing with um, how the church works. Church in operation is exactly what we're going to see. This is the biblical way that it works. So we call today's message what spirit-filled living looks like. And we might uh, say that I've often heard that being filled with the Spirit and uh, Spirit-filled Christian life. I've heard that term, but what does it really mean? What does it really look like? What is it? It is biblical, and it is true that a Christian is to be filled with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, but uh, sometimes it sounds kind of mystical. Filled with the Spirit, okay, but Spirit-filled living, what, what, what is that? Some kind of uh, Eastern religion thought? Well, uh, we know that if we look at Scripture, we get a beautiful picture of the Spirit-filled life. What does a Spirit-filled Christian look like in the way that one lives? So that's what we're after today in the section that we're in, 9 through 12. Uh, we've seen in chapter uh, 12 so far uh, what it does. It sums everything up in verse 1. It says, because of what all that God has done for us, uh, because of the mercies of God, it only makes sense that we want to do something. Because of all that He's done through those 11 chapters, and then here we are right in the midst of chapter 12, and now He's telling us, here's what we do. Here's what you do as a Christian. Before it was basically, here's what He's done. Now it's, what do we do? And all Christians should be asking that, what can I do? Uh, we know that it starts with offering ourselves up as a living sacrifice. Remember that one? Romans 12, 1 and 2, and talks about renewing the mind. Offering ourselves up as a living sacrifice means to, as you live... Offer yourselves completely to God. You're giving yourself totally because He's the one that owns you. So you just offer it up and you're renewed continually. Because of the world that's out there, we must be renewed daily by the Word of God and thinking on the things of God. So uh, it means to give our all to Him. That is what a Christian does. It means to serve Him gladly. And the best way we can serve Him is by serving others. And He gave us the way to do that. And we looked at that last week. And it's called gifts. Grace gifts. Grace gifts. That's what each one of us has. And we know that it comes individually to every Christian. You have a grace gift from God. You have your particular measure. You have something that nobody else has in the whole body of Christ. And we know it is unique, and it also comes together as we all practice those gifts that we are in unity. Unity and diversity, and we spoke of that the last couple of weeks, we are to be tightly knit. And so that is where we have been. That's where we come from. We've been set up with what God has done and then He gives us the tools that we need to be able to serve in the local body of Christ. 
It's the gifts. And so we looked at that last week. And so we get to move on and you can see how when you look at the Word of God, verse by verse, it just doesn't go willy-nilly and say, do this, do that. Here's what happened to you. Just pick and choose. A smorgasbord, it's making sense of what was just last said. And I don't know about you, but I need help. I need, whenever I read something, to make sense to me of where it has been and where it's going and where we're at now. And it fits in with the whole thing. You know what I mean? And that's why we like expository teaching. That's why we're in the book of Romans. We just don't pick out one little section and say, here are the gifts. And then the next week we come on some other topic. It's like, okay, we have gifts, but what do we do with them, right? And here we have it right here. It's explained fully. How I've got these gifts, Dennis, uh, but I'm not so sure what to do with them. I don't even know what they really are. I don't even know what to do with them. Well, as we look in here in the text, here's what we do. Here's what you do. Here's how you act in your, in your living. And so we come to how the gifts function in the body of Christ. How the gifts function in us as we do that. And if we're talking about body, we're also talking about the analogy of a family. And actually it's better than analogy because if you're a brother and sister in Christ, if you belong to God the Father, you are related to me and each and every one. We are a family. Remember that Gaither song, Family of God? I'm not going to sing it, but that's what we are. We are the family of God. Blessed be God because He's made us a real, near, dear family. And that's what it's going to really be expressing here today in, in this text. Uh, we are to put on the very display of gifts and God has given us. It's not us on our own make these things happen, but it's His love working in us, His works that He gives in us so that we can make them work outwardly. We work them out. He works them in us. We work them out. How are we to function? These gifts are to be used in humility. It's not about boasting or showing off. And in love, and that's the key word that we're going to be kicking all of this off today. It's about the love of God that has been put into us, and we are to be continually filled with the Word of God, with the Spirit of God. The love of God is poured into us, and it's overflowing. We have everything that we need to live in the church. Everything. And we are to put it on display. This is the idea of Spirit-filled. It's not anything magical or mystical at all, is it? The Spirit-filled life is simply letting the Word of God spill over into our lives to others because they are very important. This is the functions that body in the body that God has designed. This is how it works. This is how the church works. This is how the church lives. You know, uh, as we looked at the list of gifts, and uh, they weren't nearly all the list of gifts, I don't think we could have a book that could contain all the different kind of gifts that every Christian has. Um, but we saw a list, and then you see another list, and then you put those together, and then you are unique. Okay, well, that's the gifts. 
There's one that was not mentioned last week. We're going to be mentioning it this week, and if we'd given Paul time, we would have said, okay, he's got it. Uh, the very first two words uh, of verse 9, after that list of gifts, it says, let love. Let love. Love. What's the greatest of all the gifts? Faith, hope, and love. And of these three, the greatest is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And so now we get to speak on that. You know, we, we talked a lot about Romans 9 and 10 and 11, and it was pretty hard stuff, really hard doctrine. And for some, it's like, oh, I've got to really check this out and look at this. This sounds really heavy, and it is. But now we get to a part we say, oh, love, I, I know what that is. But as we look into it deeper, it's an amazing thing, this love but it is ever fleeting from us the kind of love that God has. But it's always here because He lives in us. But sometimes we forget about love which is really about others. So I think this section that we're in now that we're getting ready to go to starting in verse 9 through 12 is very fitting to follow up with the gifts. He just doesn't leave us hanging there Okay, I've got this gift, but what do I do? He says, okay, now, here's what you do. Don't you like the Word of God? Don't you love it? It just explains what it's all about. And so we use these gifts and love. So pick up your Scripture, your Bible, what have you, and let's turn to Romans 12, starting at verse 9. In honor of God's Word, we stand and we let these words sink into our minds so that we can be renewed. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Let's pray. Lord, you've put some things in Scripture here that seem right. I don't see how anybody could argue with such a text. Regardless of what their beliefs are or unbelief is, those things are right and true and good. But we know that the only one who's ever lived this out was Christ. And the only ones that can exhibit this and put it on display are the people in the body of Christ. We have the power, we have the tools to do it with. Lord, convict us where we come so short of these, and we do. And yet, these characteristics, these verbs, this action that's involved, also is exhibited in the whole body of Christ and in this local body. These are things that we know to be true and we enjoy doing these. And yet we know that 
we have a long way to go in bringing these forth in our lives more forward. It's by the fruit of the Spirit, starting with love, that we can actually do these things. So we're just not telling people, do this, do that, in an outward way, but we know we've already given, been given this inwardly, and may we now live it as we understand these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. The nature of love is the first point, and it's found in verse 9. The nature of love. And we know in 1 John 4, 8, it says that God is love. You know, any person here can understand that. Now, the depth of it is, I guess, immeasurable. But everybody should know that this is true. God is love. That is His very being. He is light. His Spirit. We read off several of those answers to what the question of who is God. And uh, this is one of those there. Love. We can understand fully what the love of God is until we know really who God is. And it takes an eternity to know the love of God. Say, man, we've been talking about predestination and election and then uh, where God judges people to heaven or hell in pretty hard terms, sovereignty of God and such, and now we're on a section that's dealing with the love of God. And uh, that is pretty amazing. Dennis is actually going to talk about love. I don't hear that very much, Dennis. <laughs> Have you ever thought that? Maybe. And uh, it's all over the Bible. How could I miss it? And maybe I, I'm a miss at that sometimes. But I can't go around it here. I will say, if it weren't for God's love, why would I even be here? Why would you be here? Uh, yeah, I extol that attribute that He has. To Him, if we be in the body of Christ, how else can we represent Christ without showing the love of Him in us? We want to show all men that we are our very, we are disciples of Christ. Uh, he pours out into our hearts His love. Remember the Scripture, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another, love God and love your neighbor. The greatest commandment is love God, love your neighbor. This love is how the world is going to know that we follow Christ. When they, when they see the love we have for each other, it goes beyond them because they've never seen it. It's never exhibited. There are pictures of it in the family. There are pictures of it with friends. But this kind of love is only practiced by God's people. And what a picture it is. It's a picture, really, of Jesus. You want to see Jesus? How can we paint Him? He's not necessarily the blonde, blue-eyed figure that we've all been accustomed to with those pictures that we had seen on the walls. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a beautiful picture. This is Christ. 
We sang this song earlier, and it was a great setup. Thank you, Debbie, for reminding me to have this song ready for where we're at now. It couldn't have fit better. Starts off in verse 1 If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith and so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. I can do all those religious things. If I don't have God's love, if I'm not exhibiting that, it is zero. Matter of fact, I would consider it to be below zero. And then he goes on to say this, Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And then in verse 13, But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. There was a book actually written by Henry Drummond. Not necessarily uh, one who would believe a lot of the things that we believe or some of the things. Uh, but I do believe that he had a love for God and he had a way of putting it in a little bitty book. And, uh, that's really what it's titled, The Greatest of These. And uh, I think about it and I'm going, if everything starts with God and who He is, <clears throat> then our service to God has to be done in love, right? So, chapter 13 of Corinthians is the supremacy of all the chapters in the Bible about love. Although love is all the way through the Bible, here we have it, and we know it is so good that no matter whether one's a Christian or not, you would often see this passage read or even put in the bulletins, 1 Corinthians 13. They might even have it on the program's cover. Greatest of these is love. Because that's what the relationship that two people should have. It starts with the love of God. Not just loving each other, but loving God because God loved us first. Now, we could speak on love and have a whole series of it and it would take weeks and weeks and weeks. And uh, We're not going to do that. We just have a verse here and then we'll move on. Um, but I'll probably, just like I usually do, spend more time on this one verse <laughs> uh, than I will all the other verses, which... Uh, kind of makes sense because it sets us up to be able to do all those other things. I think I remember back in the 80s, 90s, uh, used to do a prison ministry. It was Chuck Colson's ministry. And it was done all nationwide. You remember the story on Colson maybe. But uh, not to get into that, but 
they gave me uh, a topic to do and all the materials that went with it. Actually, it was really set up very good. The people who contributed those materials were good. I, uh, of course, like everything else, I tend to slow down. And uh, we worked on love for many, many, many weeks there. It was part of the seminar, an ongoing thing. We would have it uh, nightly. And it was kind of like a revival. You know, we say revival, and we use that word probably wrongly today. But it uh, really got a stirring in the hearts of those inmates. And it was really good to see as, uh, as a blessing to me, as it most often was, I always walked out there and said, I got more of a blessing than you did, because they come up and say, what a blessing. And I go, I'm the one that got the blessing. Uh, it's it's you guys because they were listening intently and you pray and you hope that it sticks in their hearts uh, all I know is I'd come back there week after week and they were joyous and um, they many of them had learned love like they had never learned it before because they came out of families that never showed love they never saw love ever in their life I Danny, you know what I'm talking about. As you dealt with, that was your ministry. As you got to get it as a living, to do that, work with those guys. Sometimes it's really a blessing. Sometimes it's a little difficult, and you see. Sometimes it's heartbreak because some of those guys you see do really well and they're going good. They're let out of prison, and then a few months later you see them back, and you go, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> And they broke some kind of rule. Usually it was a small one, but uh, you can't break any kind of rules. And So at, uh, at any rate, I, I look back at that and I go, you know, those guys learned love, some of them, for the first time. And uh, we went through it. And those were, those were good days. You don't hang on those. You move on, right? But I'm just saying what a blessing it is as you talk about that and go into depth. Now, okay, like I said, I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on this. So here we go. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Uh, love is to not be hypocritical. That's the idea. The word there, and some words I'm going to use the Greek on, I'm not trying to be fancy or anything, but I think it, it helps us and gets a little more technical, but yet the way it was origin, uh, originally written, it was using a word, hypocritos, which we get, we, out of that word we get hypocritos, or hypocrite. And we all know about hypocrite, and people say, I'm not going to your church, there's a bunch of hypocrites there. And then, of course, what do we usually say? Yeah, come on and join us all. Yeah. But yet, I don't think we are really hypocrites because we have the love of Christ in us. Yes, we put a mask on. Yes, we do some things that's not consistent of a Christian, or say some things sometimes that's not consistent. But as a whole... And the full meaning of it means we are Christians. We have been changed. And so we're not hypocrites in that sense, but I can see why that would be saying, yes, won't you join us? Because we are, we are sinners, aren't we? 
We still battle with that sin, so it's in humility you can say yes, and you know, whenever I go in there, I realize I was a sinner. I still am. But the Lord is making me better. So they can't use that term and get away with it. And they use that because they're saying we're all hypocrites. That's not true. The word here, <coughs> Hippocrates, hypocrite, means to be without a mask. It means no wax in the Latin. And we're going to get to both of those. Let's get to the Greek word, which is what we have here, without hypocrisy. Love is not to be hypocritical. It's to be, the opposite is genuine. What's the opposite of a hypocrite? One who is sincere or genuine. So, if you're in the Christian body of Christ, you are sincere, you are genuine, you're not putting on a mask, and I'll get to that. Hypocrite uh, is the Greek word, and it was used for an actor. An actor in a play. Uh, uh, an actor in a Greek play, for instance. And he would play the part of another. And you've seen so often where they would have on a stick, there would be a mask, and they would put the mask in front of their face to show that they are playing a different part. They're not playing themselves. They're playing a part of somebody else. They're not that person. They are a hypocrite. They are an actor. They're just putting on a front. And that's signaling the role that they're playing. So whether it be a tragic or a comedy kind of play, or a melodramatic play, they would put on a mask. And so really what it's saying is step off the stage and throw down your mask. Be genuine and be sincere. Here's the Latin word of that. Not that you have Latin Bibles. The Bible was not written in Latin. But early on in the early church days, Latin was the uh, common language. And when you get to the guys like Augustine and such, so much we get to that as well as maybe even Greek, right? But uh, when we're talking about the picture of a mask, we're saying ana hypocrites, and that brings on the negatives of saying not be a hypocrite. Um, love is not wearing a mask. Now, that's genuine, right? And sincere. Now, the Latin word is kind of interesting. I'll give you a word picture on that. It, uh, I think it'll help. Uh, the word is sine sera. S-I-N-E-C-E-R-A. Which we get our English word sincere. And the Latin word means no wax. Uh, what they would have is that they would take pottery. You get a slight little crack in that pottery and you put a lot of time into this effort and it's worth money. People who wanted to get the full price out of that would put wax on that crack so you wouldn't see it very easily, especially in a dark room. Now the thing is, when you put the light on it and you go outside where the sun is shining, guess what you see? You see a crack. 
Uh, they put that wax on, you sell it in a dark corner, and uh, you've just fooled those people, and you get the highest price. Well, the interesting story behind this is that there are quality vessels where people who have quality and will only put out the best, what they would do is that they would stamp, and then when they would show that stamp and it would say, Sinacera, which is no wax. That means it's genuine. It's the genuine pottery. You're not just seeing something. It's not been doctored up. That's the idea. A sincere person doesn't hide his true nature because he's already genuine. He doesn't have to hide it or cover it up. So there it is. To be genuine without hypocrisy. Now, that's what love is. That's When we practice love, we're not doing it just, well, the Bible tells me that I'm going to go ahead and do this, and I'm going to fool other people, and they're going to think I'm just wonderful. John Calvin said, it's not easy to be genuine. Is that right? Well, he remarked this, it is difficult to express how ingenious almost all men are in counterfeiting a love which they do not really possess. They deceive not only others, but also themselves. While they persuade themselves that they have a true love, for those they not only treat with neglect, but also in fact reject. That's really a false love or a hypocritical love. And they say, okay, I'm not going to show love to anybody because... I don't feel it in here for them, so therefore I'm not going to show love. Well, actually, you need to do it anyway. You say, well, I'm a hypocrite. Well, if you show the other one, how does that make you any better? At least you know what God says, I'm going to do it. But it should be stirred up in the heart. At least do it. Because that's what you're expected to do. You know these words that we're looking at in here? I think a child, a very young age, can understand these and here it is, I'm trying to explain it, and I really shouldn't have to give a lot of effort to this. Honestly, we all know what this means, and we know what God's love is about, don't we? But it is good to be reminded and kind of get the, a little bit of the depth of, of what it is. We know that we sometimes put forth a love that's not full effort. You see, love is actually an uh, it's an act of self-sacrificing love. Whether you feel it or not, God says, do it. Because I've given it to you to do it. Why, what your attitude is, I don't know, but you need to, you need to get that better. <laughs> right. And so therefore, we have no excuse. We have never an excuse to not love somebody. Never. The mark of a believer... And there's probably many, but let's look at John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, it's not really new, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. See, they never saw that kind of love, did they? You love like I love that you also love one another. 
By this, all men will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. There we go. Wow, that's a, that's a tough one. That's the mark of a believer. It's the mark of a disciple. It may not be at the level that we'd like, and we know it, but the more that Christ rules in our hearts, the more that that love, it doesn't come out automatically. And so, we get the word love. And this word love in verse 9 is the word agape. It's not sloppy agape. You've probably heard that all your life. I've heard that it's better pronounced as agape. It's God's love. It's an act of self-sacrificial love for others. To lay yourself down. That is one word that is for love. We know there's actually four words. One of them does not appear in the Bible, and that's cause that's called eros or e r o s. It's known as uh, we think of it in English erotic. It would be a sexual love, not that it's bad. It's something that God gives, but He doesn't use that word in Scripture. But there are other three other words that appear in Scripture. And the word that is often most used is agape, God's love. There's no other way to define it other than it's God's love. Uh, there is another word, and it's storge, and we'll see that in verse 10. Phile storge. And another word is Philadelphia, and I know everyone has heard that. So there's the three loves that are found in Scripture. And we know that most often it's agape. These are three words with a meaning of love. We want to have a God-like love for everyone. The greatest of these is love, right? So before we get into verse 10, we have to finish out verse 9. And it seems like there's just words that are just scattered in here and there. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Then it's like... Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Or, oh, oh, uh, let's see, how about uh, be devoted to one another. Brotherly love, uh, not lagging behind in diligence. Do this, do that, you know. They're just thrown out in uh, little strands and they don't really, it doesn't matter what, you know, it just throws them out there. That's what it seems like. No, <clears throat> no, they're, they're put together for a reason as we go down through here. And uh, this is all about behaving like a Christian. It's not just hit and miss. Let's just throw it out there and just uh, show how it is to be good. He next comes with this. It's really odd. At first, when you read, let love be without hypocrisy, and then it says, abhor what is evil. That's what my version says, abhor. I'm going to use the word hate. Hate what is evil. Because that's what it means. Hate. God says to hate evil, and so will it be. God is love, but God also hates, doesn't He? It's like God, God doesn't hate anybody. Well, the idea is He's actually angry with the sinner every day, but He hates evil. Everybody can identify with that, right? He hates evil. I don't think that's that strange. 
And in Proverbs 6, there's seven things that he hates. He starts off with six, then he, seven, he, says, then he says seven. Uh, Counting them out in two verses there, it looks like seven. And so therefore, the Word of God is always right, even in this count. But in uh, Proverbs 6, starting in verse 16... There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly evil, we're talking about things that God hates, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. That's what God hates. God hates those. You look down through them and you go, oh, those are... I've heard often Hollywood says, what, seven deadly sins? But at any rate, that is showing that God hates these things with disdain. Look in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me, new moon and Sabbath, the calling of assembly. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. Get that? I hate them. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer... I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. You see, he hates all of those things. Those are religious things. We saw the earlier ones that are characteristics of people that would be unbelievers. And actually, you know what God hates even more? Hypocritical acts, and you remember whenever Jesus was on the scene and how often did he call the Pharisees and the people that were religious, he called them hypocrites. And he had names for them, he showed exactly what they were, and the most disdain that he has is for the religious people that have no relationship with Christ. By the way, the word religion is a good term. It's just been robbed in the time of our lives. If you say religious today, it almost sounds like a negative term, but uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote a book called Religious Affections. Religious. Religious is good. It's what we know of, and, and we call it today where people will... Um, you know, maybe identify what we're talking about, a relationship with Christ. The religion that people have seen most often in our days is what? Some kind of legalism, some kind of something you do outwardly, but there's never any change. And so that's why the word religion probably has a negative term today. Like I say, our English changes and ways changes, but when you see the Puritans write about it, it is a good thing. One is religious, it means they're devoted to Christ. They have affections for Christ. And I'll get to that because that's another word that has been changed. Just like love. Those are pretty key words, aren't they? And how they've been changed, misunderstood. So, um, uh, 
Turn to Amos chapter 5, verse 21. Amos is after Daniel. If you can find Daniel, then you'll have uh, Joel. Hosea, and then Joel, and then Amos. And Amos chapter 5, verse 21, we get this. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. He's the one that made them. Why would he hate them? Why would he hate these assemblies and these festivals? Because their heart wasn't right. They were doing all the automatic things. Ephel, in the prayer that you prayed, you were talking about that kind of thing. That people have outward things, but there's an inward aspect. We can't really see that inward. We see the outward and we think people are really doing great things. But those things without the inward aspect mean nothing to God. Matter of fact, it's worse. He hates that. Matter of fact, you might as well stop it because every time you pray, it's meaningless and nothing to Him. So He hates that. I reject those religious things that are good that you are treating with contempt. You're going through the motions. You don't really mean it. Right? So that's the idea of hating evil. You have a righteous hatred. Every one of you hate the things that are going on in the world, whether it be in the schools, whether it be in the governments, whether it be just all around and everything that is happening, a lot of things that are really evil and you hate it. Well, good. Because God gave you that sense of righteousness. Why is it that other people are just buying it up and going uh, crazy with it? It's like before they didn't believe that, now they do. And, you know, they, they would become socialist and communist because they're going along with the crowd. Must be right. Everybody else is that way. I don't want to look bad amongst my peers, right? Uh, thing is, we hate unrighteousness. We love righteousness. We hate unrighteousness. We will hate all lies. We hate false theology. And we'll speak up for truth every time. Somebody rolls out something that we know that dishonors Christ and they, they say, this is what you need to believe. We need to defend the faith give a reason for what we believe, give an answer and do it in love. So, that would be about hating lies and untruths. Now, boy, here we are. We're still on that verse 9. I told you that would happen. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. And he's got one other phrase. Cling to what is evil. Good. You know what cling means? I, I uh, see that in, actually, I'm not so sure exactly what the Hebrew is there in Genesis, but I do know what it means. Husbands, uh, you know, it really is what it's saying, like what Ephesians says, love your wives. And then actually, you know, when you take a wife, you cling to her. She clings to you. You're no longer underneath your parents' rule. You and your spouse are now together and you are one. And so you cling to them. Stick like glue. And that's the idea here. Cling to what is good. Stick like glue. Stick like epoxy. How about super glue? Stick like that. Cling 
to whatever is truth, to what is good. You know what's good? It's defined in the Bible, right? You, you stick to that. Whatever is not, you hate it if it's unrighteousness. Now, verse 9 is completed. We have the basis to move on. Verse 10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now, what is a little difficult with some of these, we have different translations, and it might read differently than what I just read, but it means the same thing. You, you ever notice that a lot? It will happen. It will definitely happen here. And it's certainly okay. It's okay. I might be not even sticking directly to uh, what I have even here. I know in the NASB it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Do you, some of you guys have that? In the King James, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. I like that one too. Kindly affectionate. Matter of fact, I'm even going to get into that a little bit. Kindly is based on the word kin. Kind, kindly, K-I-N. This is what it starts with. Kind, K-I-N. K-I-N is related to family, meaning family, kin. We're kin to each other. We are in the same family. We are told to love and treat Christians as we would members of our own physical family. That is the idea. So it says, whenever it says devoted to one another, be kindly affectionate or kin to them like they are family. Christians are certainly family, are they not? Regardless of our backgrounds, and boy do we have a lot of different backgrounds, regardless of race, nationality, wealth, education, occupations, all of those above. Despite all of those differences that we have, we are one in Christ. We are one. One in Christ. You've got to love that. You've got to love it. We are spiritually akin to each other. Now you remember the uh, word in verse 9 was agape, which is God's love. Now we're going to get the two other Greek words that are used in the Bible all the way through. In verse 10, we're going to get two other words that are love. In our English language, it really messes things up because all I know is that there's one word for love. And that's why the Greek is so more precise. Because you could say that word and then they would know what you mean. When one, Whenever somebody says, I love each other, or I, I love them... It might be that you might say, oh, I love the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know how many Kansas City Chiefs fans we have here. I might be the only one. I love the Cardinals, and there may not be many Cardinal fans here, or I love, you know, whatever we say. And in a sense, you know, there's a general sense of where to love everybody, but it's just saying, I really like them, you know. 
you know, that's basically the idea. Then we love our wives, we love our husbands, we love our kids, we love the rest of our family, we love our neighbor. And we go, boy, if I use that word, I love my neighbor like I love my wife, I'm, I'm really in trouble now, aren't I? And so that's why the precise definitions here are important. We've probably, many of us have heard these, and it's like, uh, okay, you can let this fly on by if you like, but it is interesting that it's here. The word devoted also is the word philostorge. Philo is a love. It's a friendly kind of love. Storge is used one time in the Bible. It's in Timothy, and it's actually a negative. Ah, storge, in the last days. There will be family members who hate each other. There is a natural love that you have for your family. You have a natural love if you're a parent, you have a natural love for your kids, right? Sometimes it doesn't show agape, but it's a natural love that's there. And you'll do whatever it takes to protect them. That's built in. That's natural. The thing is, in the days that we're living in, that natural kind of love doesn't happen. Kids are kill- killing parents. Parents are killing kids. Brothers and sisters kill each other. And more often than not, you watch some of those uh, detective shows and such, will find out that the first one they go after whenever a wife has been killed is who? The husband. And if the husband is killed, who's the first one they go after? The wife. You talk to detectives, you talk to police, they will tell you the same thing. That's the first person that we think that did that. You are on the list. You're at the top of the list. Well, uh, that's the kind of days that we live in now. Ah, storge. He gave us a prophecy of that. Storge would take the ah off, and it means you love in a natural way. It's natural affections for your kids or it's natural affections for your father or your mother. It's that kind of natural love that's already built in. Does that make sense? So you know, when you have phile, storge, it's talking about a love. Phile is. But it's the love that has affections. And so that's where I get into the word devoted. I don't have devoted, but if you have a King James Version, be kindly affectionate. Or devoted is when you are really affection, have affections for somebody. In the church we are to have affections for each other. And go, whoa, whoa, that's getting a little bit too much. We're not talking about that kind of affections where one may want to express it physically and such and they kiss them and hug them and that kind of thing. Uh, this is something that is phile storge with affections and that's probably, my version says devoted. Now, I'll get to you what affections really are. And During the time of Jonathan Edwards, they knew no no thing of affections like we know of today. We think of, you know, feely, good feelings towards somebody. Well, and it's emotions. You know, the emotions. Emotions seems to be the call today in um, much of the evangelical realm uh, to get my needs met. And I want to feel good and feel right about it and feel, feel, feel. And uh, those things are good. Feelings were given by God. But affections here is a kindly affection or Jonathan Edwards wrote religious affections. 
And it severely meant something a lot more than what we would have today. It's really having a compassionate kind of love that would be intentional. A compassionate, intentional love that involves one's entire being. It goes down to the guts. And I know this sounds rather rude. The word in the Greek is splankna. And it means to the bowels, to the depth of you. It's having a compassion, not just for your wife or your husband or your kids or somebody that's related in your family, but to people in the church. To have a deep affection for others that's intentional. It's a compassionate love. It's not eros. It's not that at all. Remember the Greeks are well defined on this and that's why this word here, and that's why I'm spending so much time on it, storge, And it's to have a warm affection, a family love, being devoted. And that's why all those translations will have that and you put it all together and now it makes sense because I had to spend most of my time it seems like this week trying to sort this out because there's one Greek word uh, storge is in it phila storge and then one another in and everybody knows this one brotherly love and you go to the city that got beaten the Super Bowl yes the city of brotherly love Philadelphia and they got stomped actually they didn't really it was a last second field goal that beat them and my chiefs who I have warm affections for no, I'm not devoted to them I bring that up as an illustration, but I do like them. Uh, Philadelphia is a love for friends. Delphia or Delphos is brother, brotherly, and Philae is love. It's a love that you would have towards a friend. Do you have a friend that you really care for? There's a Philadelphia love. If you really appreciate them, you you love them. Yes, that's the... And so therefore you would sort it out from agape. If you have a God's love for them too, that they either be saved or that they grow in Christ. You have that agape love, but also you can have a Philadelphia love and a Philistorge love if somebody is related to you and everybody in the body of Christ is related and we're to have that Philistorge. Does that make sense? A love that is now natural even if they are nothing like you gotta like it our devotion to one another is a big part of our lives folks we should be desiring to be a closely knit group and now we move on and a little more quicker now you ready did you see the two love words in there Philadelphia and Philistorge and then we saw agape. If we have those, we can do the rest of this. And here we go. It's going to be quick. Give preference to one another in honor. Okay, I'm going to read this literally. I like the literal sense. And in respect to honor, in respect to that word honor, lead the way for each other. Huh? Preferring one another. Well, I like that. No problem. Give preference to one another in honor. But actually, it's in honor. Lead the way for each other. You know what he's saying here? Don't wait around for people to 
honor you or recognize you or encourage you. Don't wait around for that. Uh, it happens sometimes, but actually not a lot. And really, we need to be practicing this. It's called encouragement. Now, we saw that word earlier. It's a gift. I say, I'll let the person that has a gift with that. I'm not going to go up there and tell them, hey, I really appreciate you doing that because it's not my style. Well, tough, because you are told to do this. You're told to go and recognize them. If there's something that is good that they have done, uh, something uplifting, or they just said something, and you know what? It meant a lot to you. You say, hey, I, I thank you, brother. I thank you, for sister, for saying that. I, I overheard you talking to that, to that person over there. And you know what? That's a good thing. That is really good. You know what? When somebody gives you a little word of encouragement, it may not mean much. But in another sense, it really does. You can say, oh, really? I didn't really even think about that. It really is good. And you say, well, that's never been my style. It's not me. Uh, excuse me? We've already talked about love. You're to have kindly affections, and if they've done something that really means to you, you go up and you go tell them. You say, well, I'm not very good at going and telling people that. Well, let's see, today we have a lot of ways. You can send them a, send them a letter. You can send them an email. You know, I don't know their email. Well, you can send them on Facebook. You say, well, I don't know their Facebook. There's a lot of ways to get to them, but I'll tell you what, I think most of us here are in connection with each other. Uh, get their phone number. Uh, if you're praying for somebody, it's good to have that phone number or some way to connect with them. And there's a lot of ways now. We have Messenger and on and on and on. We have no excuse. And just if it's if it's one word you know, that you want to emphasize, say, hey, I want to say thanks for saying thanks to me. <laughs> you know what that means? A lot. Unfortunately, we are so in tune with ourselves that we're not so much thinking about ourselves yeah, we are, aren't we? Are we thinking about ourselves? We're in so into that's really what we do, don't we? That's our problem. You know what? There are people who need to be recognized, to be encouraged, to be honored. Let's go to a great passage, maybe one of the best. It's Philippians two, one through four. Um, because of lack of time. Well, it says, uh, uh, verse 1, don't go on. Okay, uh, oh, excuse me, I shouldn't have said that probably. Verse 1, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any of that, if any, look at this, affection and compassion. Remember our word while I go, affectionate love? It deals with the compassion, the deep down aspect. Get to know that person. Get to know who they are and go up to them and talk to them. Have a compassion for them. You're ordered to do that. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Okay, now here you go. Here's what I was really trying to get at. Do nothing from selfishness. Oh, wow, Paul, you just blasted me. Or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Well, I just wanted to do this. I wanted to do this. and I, I, That person needed you. He's more important. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. That's saying, do look out for your personal interest, but look out for others, but also for interest of others. And then he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ 
Jesus. That means you do it. It's in Christ. Remember, He did it. The epitome of humility. Emptied Himself. Took on flesh. Died on the cross. And so we go back to our Romans. Remember whenever I said lead the way? This is getting a, uh, trying to get some accuracy on this little Greek meaning here in, in our Romans 12. Give uh, preference to one another in honor. Lead the way in giving honor. Lead the way. Don't wait for somebody to come to you. You say, well, they, I need encouragement. I'm not kidding. So, who cares? Well, I hope the church cares. But if they don't know that person, they don't know what they're doing in this body of Christ. I know every one of you. I have that privilege because in the position I am, I have to be. But I want to be. I love it. I can't think of a better profession in all the world than to be a pastor. I love to know who the people are. And I want them to know who I am and my wife. And we're all one. We're getting to know each other and you find out how God works in them. Get to know them and you'll be blessed. I guarantee you see and you'll start learning. And not everything has to be in a spiritual sense. It's all spiritual. You find out where they came from, what they used to like, what they did, what they do now. And you know, you, you, you learn from that. Man, it is a blessing to know that kind of thing. And I know that most of you know each other, so therefore it's pretty hard not to in this body. Uh, and you say, well, I haven't been here very long, but uh, I am getting to know them. Well, good. You will get to know them. That's over time. It's okay. Don't feel guilty. But it's about honoring. Love is no, not motivated by your own honor, but others would be respected. You want others to be honored, respected. If somebody cleans up this building, and they do, there's one person. If you don't know who they are, find out. I'm not going to say the word. I could say it right now and then say I wasn't going to say it. But I, somebody just does that and say, well, you come in here, have you noticed it's always clean? It smells good? I mean, you know, it's a comfortable place to worship, isn't it? Somebody's done that. They just don't just walk out of here and everything's all perfect and everything. They put it in order. Or uh, You might have uh, another person that makes sure that there are things that are administered to. There are certain things this church needs. Uh, it might be sometimes just making it comfortable in here and the way that it looks. Uh, not looking sterile, but something that looks good. It feels right. We don't think about those things and maybe not necessarily meant to be. You just come here and... You, and we worship, but we forget about those things. You know, sometimes you might have a chance to serve in the sense, you know what, somebody ever cleans this up. One time, I'm, I, just one time, I'm going to ask them, maybe I clean it up. Or maybe just as simple as this, I think I'm just going to take out the trash today and just put it out there in the dumpster and put it away. That way they won't have to do that. Or how about uh, seeing some dishes in there? Um, I think I'll at least put my cup in, in the sink. And it'll be ready to go. And I'm going to pick up whatever stuff that I left here. And you know, it's just thinking. There are people that do that. They're meant to do it, but maybe go up to them and say, "You know what? I really thank you for doing that. For getting all the things here. Getting all the things taken care of. Things getting paid. Books done. 
making sure that we continue to um, do business as far as our building is concerned, about what we do. You know, one after another, everybody here does a, a lot of things. Some people uh, you know, teach, some people uh, read things, some people, uh, you know, they write things. Uh, my, go on and on. I forget all the things. I wish I could tell you all those things, and, and it's being done. Some people just pray. I'll tell you what, that might be the best thing that can be done for us. They have a special gift of prayer, diligently praying for this body, for each individual. There are people in this church praying for you every day. Doesn't that feel good? And if they say, hey, you know what? I prayed for you. Well, thank you very much. Praise the Lord. I needed that. Thank you. And they go, wow, that meant a lot. Just They said thanks. Um, anyway, now here we go. We're ready to put it in high gear. And we go. Not lagging behind in diligence. You know what that means? In regard to what you ought to be doing, don't be lazy about it. <laughs> and what we just talked about, don't be lazy. The word means to hurry, to haste. And remember, this is put in the net of not lagging. Here, the word is the spood. If you put it in the negative in front of it, it would be lazy. In other words, the opposite of to, is to hurry, to haste. It's easy to be discouraged in ministry. When things don't go our, our way, it's like saying, don't get weary. But don't get weary. I'm going to do one passage here. Galatians 6.9 Galatians 6, 9, here's how the church is working there in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. There you go, I've got other ones. It's a spiritual lethargy. You ever been lethargic? You know, you're full like, oh, I just can't move. I feel really big today. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I can't move. It says, Be not lazy. Do it in haste. The next one, fervent in spirit. What's fervent? It means to boil. It is a deal with burning. To burn with passion. To heat. It's to bubble over. You ever seen a pot with water and it's boiling over? That's fervent in spirit. Uh, could mean the Holy Spirit. Not necessarily, or not necessarily capitalized. It's spirit in your attitude and the way that you function with the Holy Spirit in you doing that, right? So it can be both. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse said this, it's a glow. A glow. The glow of the Spirit is the warmth of the soul touched by the love of Christ. The Holy Spirit who dwells in all believers will glow through those who allow Him to fill and direct their lives. Acts 18.25, you have Apollos and he is speaking, he's preaching uh, the, the gospel here and uh, he's given truth to people, what a teacher he was. And uh, he's a Jew and uh, he's an Alexandrian by birth. And verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He was boiling over. He couldn't wait to get it out. 
And whatever you do, do, just be fervent in your spirit to boil over. You know what I mean? Zeantes is the word. Uh, the next one is serving the Lord that we have here in Romans. We're going quicker now, aren't we? Uh, in honor, give preference to one another. Don't be lazy. You know, be diligent, right? Fervent in spirit. And then you can say, well, fervent in spirit as serving the Lord, right? Well, actually, it's a different one. Serving the Lord. It's separate from that, but it all ties together. As regards to the Lord, this is the literal sense, as regards to the Lord, serving. As to the Lord, well, yeah, obviously. Yeah, we're to serve the Lord. All of this is that, and He reminds them, uh, you know, some of these things I'd rather not do. Serving the Lord. Uh, And by the way, it means in Luke 6.46, I guess I'll turn to this. Trying to really hurry now. 6.46, what do we have? We have, for why do you call me Lord, Lord? Right? Serving the Lord. And here's Lord, Lord. And do not do what I say. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. And then you have that parable and such of the two foundations. Can't go into that. A lot of time, stones fill on a foundation, right? Here's what it is. Okay, you hear it, you like it, you say, yes, I agree with that, and then you don't ever do it. You don't live it. Don't call Him Lord. One day you can walk up to the Lord, the great throne, if you're not a believer, and uh, you're going to be judged on your works. Well, the works that you did were not anything that honored God. Here it is. If He's Lord, that means you're a slave. And you know what the word here for serve is? Slave. Doulos. The word is doulos here, which means you're in bond service. Our lives should be all about serving God. If you're a doulos, if you're a slave, that's what it is here. It's not diakonos, it's slave here. You're a slave of Christ. I can't think of anything better to say. That's what I do. That's how I make my living. That's how He takes care of me. I'm a slave of Christ. He provides everything. He's a perfect master. He never beats us. Never tries to destroy us. He's trying to make us better in our walk that we can be like Christ. Do loss. Then the next one is rejoicing in hope. Real quickly, I think of one passage that I love where hope is at, and hope is what is promised. It's looking too to what is promised. Here's our motivation the return of Christ. Titus chapter 2.13 talks about the blessed hope. The blessed hope of the return of Christ. We all have that. That's what we look to. That's what we... And you can keep doing it and it can be... Sometimes our walks can be tough. But keep doing it because look what you have to look forward to. Don't give up now. Be diligent. So he says rejoice in hope. That's what we have to rejoice about. And while we're, the next one is patient in affliction, patient in tribulation is the idea or another version, while waiting for the glory to come that we just came off of. While we're waiting for that, you're waiting for that second coming? That's our blessed hope. While you're doing that, in the meantime, and what does he say? Be patient in your affliction. I just have to spend a moment on this. I, it'd be a great message. Patient is hupomone. How many have heard that word? A few of you, right? Hupomone. It means to listen under. 
Or better yet, it would be dealing remain under. Stay under the thalipsis. The thalipsis is pressure or affliction or persecution. Whatever is weighting you down. It's not just persecution. Whatever it is that's putting pressure on your life. Has anybody here had that? you identify with that? Absolutely, because every one of us does say, oh, I thought I was about the only one going through all of this stuff. Nobody has seen what I've seen and done what I've done. And, and here I am. I'm still suffering. Well, you're not alone. Because every one of us has those thalipses that press down on it. He says what to do. Hupomone, which means remain under. Hupo, under. Mone, remain. Stick around, even when the affliction gets tough. If you love your brothers, you love the people in Christ here, remain. Stick around. And it will make an impact on their lives. You say, boy, yeah, our family's really gone through a lot. You know what? We see it. And I'm amazed how you continue. Some of you, I just go through one thing after another. I've never seen that. I need to be seeing that. And realizing they're getting it through because of the grace of God. And they're giving glory to God even when it's a horrible situation. You guys get it? I bet you say, well, he's probably talking about me. <laughs> Could be. Maybe not. I may not even know. Uh, next one is devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. Continually in prayer, steadfastly, diligent in prayer. Sometimes we get tired of praying. When I say we, I better just say I. Sometimes I get tired of praying because I've done this. I've said this same prayer over and over. I do it every day, Lord. Uh, is there anything new, Lord, that I can pray about? And, and uh, stick with it. Intervene for people. Bring people before the throne. That's my pastoral duty, right? Praying that I get everything right here and not wrong or error. That the Holy Spirit would change people's lives. Mine first, everybody else. That we grow closer. All of the above. Sometimes we don't pray when we need to be praying most. Sometimes we've everything's going really good and smooth and we forget to pray and we go, that's when we need it the most. Because I can tell you what, the enemy is getting ready to make an attack on you. Be ready. Keep praying. It's a hard thing. But keep seeking Him. We've got to close this out. Last one. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, and this goes along with it, practicing hospitality. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Share with the people in need. Maybe in here. Maybe in your neighborhood. Maybe somebody uh, you just met. Whatever. They're in need. They're really needing something. And the idea here is to identify with them. It doesn't necessarily mean somebody who's poor. It can be. Share with them. You know, Paul is not just talking money, but he's talking about identify with the needy people. This is not... You know, if you have that gift, great. You know, we kind of got into that last week. But this is for all of us to do, though, too. And you might have it in your version to pursue. It's pursuing the love of a stranger. Pursuing that might be somebody you don't know. 
might be somebody who is in real need. Practice hospitality. Back in those days, it was willing to give up uh, your, your house for somebody to come in and stay. They might be evangelists or whatever. It was, it was a hard time to find hotels. They didn't have the Hiltons back then and Sheratons and such. But there were Christians and they said, come to my home. But it means even more than that. It's talking about every day just being hospitable to people. Whatever it is, make them feel comfortable. Whatever that is, do things for them that they are in the need of. Maybe they don't know they need it. That's the ideal, um, and that's practicing hospitality, participating in it. If you have those gifts, you have no excuse. If you don't have that particular gift, well, even if you can't do it, we'll bring it to somebody who can. And you know what that person is with his gift, and say, you know what? You might be better able to handle this. Here's so-and-so, and here's what their need is, or here's what you need. Go on, give them more to encourage you. Could you do that? Being a lot to I mean, all of those things. This is the Christian life. We're all in this together. We need help, don't we? We need help. Somebody's really needing a word. Okay, I'm not giving you a prophecy there. I'm just saying there's probably somebody that really needs it. Wouldn't you like to know who that is? Uh, well, just try anybody, and I guarantee you they're not going to, uh, you know, just turn away from you. And go well <laughs> if you give them something good to hear. That's true. Here's what it is. Can anything be more practical than what we just covered? <laughs> What's more practical than this? Anybody who had been saying, you know, okay, we've been doctrinal, but I want to get into the practical. We're in the heart of it. This is it. This is how we love. This is how we bring people. In, if they like and they sense our love, I can tell you what, it makes a huge difference. Love one another, honor one another, serve one another, pray for one another, meet the needs of others. This is Christianity in action. Let's pray. Father, we have just seen what You command us to do, to love You, and as a result of loving You, as You pour Your love in us, We are to love others. In Jesus' name, amen.